Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week, Danny and Maura Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Vega, and I'm joined by my dress-free, beautiful wife, Maura. How are you, my love? You have to think of more um, adjectives when we're doing multiple podcasts. Well, you're stress-free and you're beautiful. Thank you so much. So I figured those two work. I'm doing good, Yeah. except for my neck again. Yeah, your so. neck is in a bad way right now. Yeah, I don't know what I did. We're thinking I took of... some magnesium, some re-light, and had some salt because I'm... It feels muscular, so I feel like it's dehydration or something. Yeah. And like my muscles had a spasm. And guys, if you're if you're dehydrated, that no bueno. It's much much riskier because you that's when you really can tear muscles. So like, I remember the beginning of my when I started keto, I was going on runs and I don't know what I was doing, but I was in, you know, that shopping center on One Eighteenth and Coralway, um, with the movie theater. Um, yeah. The palace, what was it the called? Palace, yeah, where, where the old Porky's was. Yeah, so I was running there, and it was in the beginning, and obviously back then I didn't know anything about the salt and magnesium, and I had this terrible, terrible pain in like all the way from my Achilles all the way to my my soleus, and it was like I was sore for days and days and days, and it was just I was because probably dehydrated, and I was and going on a run. So, anyways, um, let's talk about our guest real quick because this week's guest has struggled with his weight for his entire life. I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. He's had food obsession and morbid obesity was his norm. He spent most of his life alternating between short periods of dieting and gluttonous excess. In 2013, he managed to get to an all-time low of 210 pounds, down from 540 pounds. However, within six months, he had regained almost 300 pounds. He struggled to find a way to reach weight loss goals and break free from the cycles of food addiction that dominated his life. In 2017, he decided that he needed to try again. He finally realized that the missing piece in everything was losing focus on his desire to stay alive and fight for his health. He had done research and the keto diet seemed most in line with his needs and with the good whole foods that he loved to eat. He started to eat the keto diet in February of that year at 470 pounds. And today, over two years later, he's at about 215 pounds. The magic of his way of life now is not weight loss, but the true sense of control over food and his body that this diet has given him. He's no longer a slave to his appetite. He instead feels hopeful that he's building a life that revolves on far more than his next meal. Today, we will discuss the multifaceted approach he needed to take to finally regain control over his thought, his decisions, and his overall health. Welcome to the show, Mike Gorman, a.k.a. Gormy. What's up, brother? Hey, how's it going? How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Man, we're so happy to have you on and talk about your story. And by the way, I didn't mention, this is one thing I did mention, uh, I, that I did think about and I didn't mention to you, my love, that I want to put this in our Real Men series. Oh, absolutely. This is absolutely yeah, part of it. I was thinking that actually right now so, as I was reading that. Yeah, we're going to have to we're gonna have to redo a graphic and we're going to have to throw your head in there, yeah. Gormy, because mm. you, you, we got to have your, your pretty bald head uh, on that picture, man. <laughs> If there's if there's space, my head my and head still takes up a lot of room. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's see if we get the beard in there too. Of course. Yeah, man. We gotta get a long. We gotta put. We gotta do a long one. The long oh. one. You wanna like the long, the long photo? Portrait. I'm definitely. It's definitely. I've got a portrait profile it's now for sure. Portrait. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
I want to, before I ask my first question, and I, and I want to ask this question first before anything, because um, I just, I thought of you and I thought about what are we going to talk about with, with Gourmet today? And I thought about the word resilience. And mm. um, of course, quick, quick definition of resilience, it's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness, and the ability of a substance or object to bring back into shape elasticity. And here are some of the synonyms that I think are super important. Strength of character, strength, toughness, adaptability, flexibility, uh, ability to bounce back. All of those things go into this. And so I wanted to start with that because I think, you know, when a lot of us picture typical weight loss journeys, we're, we're comfortable with the idea of having a manageable obstacle, getting uncomfortable, you know, for a short period of time with an expiration date and moving on. But this is not what a lot of people go through. Like for a lot of us, these obstacles can seem utterly hopeless and insurmountable. So how the heck does someone even begin to process losing hundreds of pounds a second time and actually getting it right? Like what, what changed the second time for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Like it, it took a while. Um, as, and, it, and it's funny because as you're reading the definition of resilience, I, my immediate thought is, you know, was I quick to rebound? And then I think about it and I'm like, well, I, I'm 46 years old. And I, I rebounded in a couple of years. So I guess yeah. that is kind of quick. I, I mean, is, at the man. end of the day, yeah. um, I, I, I think you, you hit on it in the beginning. For me, at various points in my life, like I had basically given myself over um, to that, that addi food addiction, to that food obsession, to, to living that life and um, had almost come to peace with dying. And... I, I think that's something you you hear people talk about, and usually it's in the context of someone dealing with like a terminal illness or something along those lines. And here I was coming to peace with the fact that I was eating myself to death. And I, I had a moment where I, I knew I needed to make change. I knew I was things were coming to a head that my body was deteriorating again rapidly, much more rapidly than it had before. I, I was seeing physical problems show up. The the blood sugar issues, um, sleeping issues, mobility issues, um, all of that was compounding. And I knew things were coming to a head and I was going to have to make a decision about living or dying. And for too long, I, I, I was choosing dying. And I, I had a situation happen with my family. And I've talked about this with some people before, but my, my parents are kind of incredible people. They've been through a lot in their lives and have made some great choices and some not so great choices. But recently, the past couple of years, they had to take on custody of two small children um, that they were not intending in their 60s to be parents again. And wow. they, my, my dad, one night when we were sitting talking about it, and this was when we were getting to the point that they were going from just fostering to actually taking on guardianship. And saying, you know, we're going to do this. He goes, I, I'm realistic. I know that I'm not going to live until they're in college. You know, I, I just know it. And, and that's, you know, his belief. And he, and he says, we're going to need you and your sisters to help. You yeah. know, at some point, you know, you're going to have to help. And it wasn't. And, and I think sometimes people hear me talk about that and they think, well, clearly he's sitting there with his 480 pound son saying, um, you're eating yourself to death. Stop it so you can help us. Uh, but, but that really wasn't what he was doing. He was having a moment where he was realizing he needed help. And that's rare for my dad, uh, yeah. for him. You know, it's rare for, I think, for a lot of men to admit that we need help. Yeah. I know it's, it's hard for me. 
And and he was doing that. And I knew for him to be doing that, it had to be a big deal. And, and so I went home that night and I sat there and I looked and, and by my bed, I, I actually, at this point in my life, I kept a letter that I had written to my family in case I didn't wake up. Wow. Um, wow. I, I, it was all a part of reinforcing the BS that I would tell myself about what I was doing and that everything was okay. And I wanted them to not worry and feel regret over my passing. So I wrote a letter and this, I'd written it a couple months ago and put it in an envelope and left it by my bed. And I sat there and I looked at it and I realized that for the first time, I needed to think about my life in a bigger context. I needed to think about life being more than just about making me happy, quote unquote. Um, I needed to think about the greater responsibility to my family, to community, to the world, you know, that we have as people. And and I realized that I wasn't living up to any of that, that I I was throwing my life away, wasting this opportunity that we're all given um, because I like to eat and I needed to do something about it. And I, I knew um, immediately. And I, I, I made that the decision that night, what I was going to do. Like I, I knew it's almost like I had already gotten ready to make a plan and I I knew I needed to enact it. And I also knew myself, uh, I can be the kind of person that sometimes when I make decisions, I need to be impulsive to make those decisions happen to actualize them. So I, I was like, okay, you have to do this. And I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't really mention it even. I, I had a, an Instagram account at that time that really wasn't about um, health or fitness or anything at all like that. If anything, it was the exact opposite. Um, and I just knew I had to get started. And um, having been through that weight loss journey before and been very public about it, I had a Facebook page and a Facebook group that people followed. Um, I was a little wary about getting public because I didn't know if I would succeed. Yeah. But I just knew that I had to. And I, I, I said to myself that night that I want to live like it. So it, it came full circle to me realizing that I wanted to live more than I wanted that next meal. Like, and I never really put it in that context before. Every time I had lost weight before, it was always in the context of you can stop at some point or you reach an end point. And I, I felt like this time I, I felt a greater clarity. I had, I had really then decided from there I needed to kind of put into put into action a plan so that I was doing I did it better than I did the last time evaluate what I did wrong all of those pieces but they were all contingent on the fact that I finally was able to vocalize at least to myself at that point that I wanted to live the next day that I, I wanted to and it was that next weekend that I, I took that letter from the side of my bed and I took it outside and I burned it um, yeah, nice. Symbolic. I needed it. I needed it gone. Yeah. You know, and I I'm all about symbols and and making things big. Um, <laughs> so I, I needed to I needed to have that almost religious experience where I took the old me that was in that envelope and destroyed it, um, and decided that whatever came next, um, I was going to fight. Man, that wow. is that is so huge, and I, I remember just the posts that you've made like on with with all the befores and and some mm-hmm. of the pictures like it really you really see this person that like has this like i don't care like this oh, yeah. is this is awesome and that's a really good coping strategy right because you hate yourself mm-hmm. less when you're just like this feels good this is good like instead of like fighting it just like really really like leaning into that oh, like yeah. just eating and 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 um but 
you know, that's just a, a massive lie that mm-hmm. we tell ourselves. And it's amazing to see, especially like I, I you're, you're saying this story, man. And I'm just thinking like, you're lonely, you're by yourself mm-hmm. and you got to do this on your own. It's just, it's so lonely and so yeah. terrifying mm-hmm. sounding to me yeah. that it, it, it's even more of a, of a testament of like your courage. And um, th- this is, I, I kind of like hate when people are like, you're so brave, but like, in mm-hmm. this situation, honestly, like it's true courage because when you're alone, it, it, it's just scary, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're alone in your house and you're, you're thinking about all these things. And like, you know, what if, what if I die trying to get healthy? Like, like mm-hmm. that's another one that's oh, probably yeah. like, oh, you, you're going to die anyways. It's too late. <laughs> you know, like, oh. I'm sure that was part of, part of the whole process. Right. Oh, completely. And, and it actually, um, uh, so February of 2017 was when I, I started this this leg of my journey. And by uh, November, late November of 2017, I actually, I was down over 100 pounds, but I got incredibly sick and I was hospitalized with pneumonia. Oh, wow. And I, having lived as someone who was, you know, super obese for a long time and avoided doctors and avoided diagnoses and avoided all of that, I waited till the very last minute to go to the doctor, like literally, like I, when they took me in, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, you know what an x-ray of your lungs should look like, but it should be perfectly black. Um, there should really be nothing showing up. And my lungs look like two white clouds with wow. thin slivers of black on the top. Wow. And the doctor showed it to me and said, if you had waited four hours, you would be dead. Wow. And so there I was. The biggest fear of my life was the doctor. Like that was probably what I would say was the biggest fear of my life, like facing, putting my mortality in someone else's hands, you know, listening to what they were going to have to say, all of that. I knew I had been on a healthy journey as well. Like I knew I had been working out and losing weight and that was great, but who knew what I was going to be told? So I then went from being terrified of doctors to I was hospitalized for 16 days. And during that time, I could not get out of bed. Um, we we started to try to work on that, and I, I did walk out of the hospital, but I could barely walk from my hospital room to the wheelchair to the car. Um, I was bedridden in my parents for a month and a half after that. But you speak to that idea of of facing facing death and and struggle, and I I faced it in there. You know I you yeah. know it was I was I was already so far into my you know lose. I knew I was down a hundred pounds, and I actually kept having to say that to the hospital staff. Because they would see, you know, this 350 pound guy and just think, you know, he's a 350 pound guy who's in the hospital with pneumonia. He clearly doesn't take care of himself. And it it was funny because eventually I started keeping my before picture on my phone, like ready (laughs) as the background on my phone. So I could just hold it up when a new attending would come in and be like, this is because they would say like they would come in and immediately the new nurses and doctors because they rotate a lot, especially it was over Christmas that this happened. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's people on holiday vacations and disappearing and all of this. And they'd come in and say, so how much oxygen do you normally use at home? And I'm like, I don't use, I have never used oxygen in my life. Okay. Well, do you have a, do you use a mobility aid to get around? Are you in a chair? Like, how do you get around? And I'm like, up until last week, I was going to the gym five days a week. Here's a picture of me. This is what I do. I'm like, I already fight with your dietary department every day because I stayed keto in the hospital. Oh, Um, that's tough to do. Yeah. Oh, with the sugar, the sugar drip. There, um, they never, t- they never, they knew I was, I was keto. So they never did anything like that when it was time to give me IVs, but 
the the worst thing was the first day I was there, the dietary person comes around and they're like, hi, you know, we're going to, you know, we're getting your breakfast ready for tomorrow. You know, what would you like? I said, well, I, I'm on a keto diet, so I'm low carb. And they're like, oh, well, we have a diabetic meal. And I said, not knowing, that sounds great. And she's like, okay, I'll put you down for the diabetic meal. And I'm like, tell, even saying to my sister, I'm like, this will probably, you know, this should be great. I'm sure it'll be like eggs and, you know, maybe some, there might be some fruit, but I'll just push that aside, whatever. The diabetic meal shows up and there was eggs, you know, the hospital powdered eggs. Um, then there was oatmeal, regular oatmeal. <laughs> of course. With sugar packets. Yep. Um, a yogurt, a piece of fruit. And a big glass of apple juice, wow. and that was oh the meal. God, and gotta, I was gotta like, keep that fat low, you know. And and the the and literally, it was a kid dropping off the meal, like probably someone who was like eighteen, seventeen. Yeah. Like his his part time job is delivering meals in a hospital. And I said, "Can you get someone from your department to come talk to me? Because I really need to talk to them." Like, <laughs> and the, the the director, the the dietary manager on duty, came down like an hour later, and she's like, "What's going on?" I said. We had a discussion yesterday, and I said I wanted to eat low carb, and you suggested the diabetic meal. I need you to tell me what about this meal is low carbohydrate. And then she actually says, well, it's, it's actually 100 grams lower in carbohydrates than the meals that the average patient would get. <laughs> oh. And I was like, okay. are you giving them frosted chicken? Like, what, are, <laughs> what are they getting? Frosted like, chicken? Like, what are you giving? I, I said to her, I said, okay. I said, this is not going to do. I'm like, I need to be able to pick something else. So, you know, she's like, oh, of course, you know, and they want to work with you and they want, like, they're not, wh wherever they're coming from, like, they're, she's just doing what she is told in front of her. You know, I knew it wasn't like her trying to come out to get me or anything along those lines. So we, I started getting a lot of plain broccoli and plain chicken. And I was hoarding butter packets. And luckily, <laughs> luckily, my family was coming a lot and friends were coming and people were bringing me food. And I was able to, you know, have like a steak delivered and, and fajitas Amazing. without tortillas, like some great, some great things. And um, my my sister, who had flown in from California and stayed for a month, um, she was sneaking um the holiday flavors of Halo Top into the hospital. And, like, <laughs> um, and it was funny. It would, we'd put it in the freezer and she's like, I'll put it in the freezer so you can have more tomorrow. And it would always disappear. Someone would steal it from the floor freezer. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I was like, oh, at least someone's eating something better than the other right? crap, crappy treats they have in there, I guess. You know, because it's a room, the treat room on every floor of the hospital is cookies and ice cream. And I'm like, this is interesting. Um but I went through that whole experience and it solidified for me, you know, not to, to go so far off topic, but it, it solidified for me that I was doing the right thing, that I needed to be alive and that I was going to keep fighting. Like when I left the hospital, like I said, I was still bedridden. I, I moved onto a couch, a reclining couch at my parents' house, and I stayed there for almost a month. I had to fight to be able to get up the stairs to get back into my apartment eventually and, you know, get permission to go back to the gym. I... I learned while I was in the hospital, this was, you know, something I didn't know. But at some point in my past, I had a heart attack and didn't know about it. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And they, there was no permanent physical damage to my heart, but they could tell from the electrical signals that there had been a heart attack at some point. Um, and all I could think was I, I survived that. You know, I, I somehow survived that. One, it was funny because the doctor said, you must have had a night where you went to bed and you felt very uncomfortable. And I said, I was 500 pounds. I was, was uncomfortable like every time. night, yeah. every night, every morning I was uncomfortable. I'm like, you need to get more specific. Yeah. Um, but 
I, I realized that there was just, there had to be more to what I was, I was going to do with my life. There had to be more to what I was meant to do because I, I, I had done everything I could to die. Like, I, I really feel like I had done everything I could to die except, you know, put a gun in my mouth or right. take a bottle of pills and I was still alive. Right. So I decided I needed to figure it out. And, and, you know, that's where, where I am now. Incredible. I love it. Amazing. Well, now back to our regular starting question mm. to <laughs> break out into another rabbit hole. Let's see where we go with this. Um, what is the most critical problem you're currently trying to solve? I think the most critical problem I'm trying to solve right now is I'm headed towards the end of my weight loss journey again. Yeah. Um, I'm right now I'm actually 213 pounds. Um, so I'm three pounds from my lowest adult weight ever which was my goal weight the last time around. Um, my goal weight this time is to see the 190s. So 199, you know, or and wherever I end up, I end up. But I know that I'm not a year away from that. So uh, the fear of what comes next has always been something that ruled me on this journey because I knew how bad I've screwed up before. So I, I think the biggest thing I'm trying to wrap my head around is is what comes next. How do I approach this properly? How do I build a sustainable life going forward that isn't focused on weight loss? Um, you know, how do I define what my new goals are? What are those new goals? And um, so I, I think that's the biggest thing I'm trying to tackle right now. Get that, get that problem, get that, get that situation organized so I know where I'm headed. Man, you, you put into words what so many people don't even realize or even think about before, yeah. and they're just blindsided, you know, because... Mm -hmm. You know, it, it goes back to what, you know, some of these examples. And I, I, one of the questions that I that we want to ask you today, I'm going to give a few of the examples of things that you've probably told yourself. But, you know, we, we tell ourselves things and we we start to think like, you know, you can get comfortable or mm -hmm. you're done and all these things. Mm -hmm. And like, it's really scary to be faced with the idea that you've actually reached your goal and you've become someone different. Like, it's so easy to be like, mm -hmm. that. I don't know. That's intimidating, you know? So, um, I'm glad that you're aware of it because it's, it's, it's a big problem, especially like I see it even, even with something as simple as like the carnivore keto cut, where I had to build in, um, a reverse diet period that's mm -hmm. longer than the diet period. It's like, you know, the diet period is a month and the reverse diet, it's like eight weeks. It's pretty much double. Um, because like when we reach that goal, we're just like, woohoo party time, <laughs> you know? Um, so the, the mental games are su super, uh, interesting and important, but you know, I want to get into this mental part of it because we know that keto and carnivore diets are, they're, they're both extremely helpful at reaching fat loss goals, but we don't see too much attention being paid to all of the other work that needs to go into mm -hmm. this process, like beyond just what we eat and how we exercise. So what are the steps you took and the habits that you've built to address the mindset aspect? Because you know, as you know, this could paralyze you from even taking the first step. Mm. Well, I, I think that that's gr a, a great question because really for me, the last time I lost all the weight, I didn't think at all about my mindset or the mental side of things. I focused primarily on weight loss and on calorie numbers. equations, right? Yeah. Uh, completely. Like it was all about, you know, I was, I was paleo then. And like, I was just focusing on quality of ingredients and, and what I was eating and cutting calories down and the weight on the scale was all that mattered. And I never once thought, well, why do I have craving? Like, what am I reacting to? What's happening? So I set out on this journey with the goal of being more mindful of every step. And I wanted to examine 
how foods made me feel, how my emotions came into play. Because I, I always said to people, like I used to get the question a lot, like, are you an emotional eater? And I would say, no, I'm not an emotional eater. Like I don't, I don't have a bad day at work and go home and eat more. I don't, you know, have a fight with family and go home, you know, go on a binge. What I realized was once I took the food away, the binging away that I was doing, that I was an, an emotional eater who numbed himself constantly. Right. I, I was eating all of the time. So I have over the especially the past year, found that I can be prone to fits of incredibly strong emotion that I used to dull with food. And now so I can a song at the gym, like I can have a I can have I have certain songs on my gym playlist that cause me to like want to break down and ball like a baby on the <laughs> on the yeah. treadmill. Because you know, a song yeah. that talks about, you know, ability and, and things you can do now. And like I'm I start to get over overwhelmed by the experience I've had. And I, I try now to let myself feel those emotions. Like if I get angry, I want to know why I'm getting angry. If Ooh, I'm hungry, so I start to think about why I'm hungry. Like, I, I think that's one of the key things. Like there's so many arguments about is keto a magic, a magic genie for the, the secrets of weight loss or not. And, and I think for me, the real magic of keto is it has allowed me to learn the difference between physical hunger and mental hunger between a real physical craving for food because I'm just hungry or I want to eat something because it's a habit or it's an emotional situation has come up or I'm bored or I want to have fun. You know, food was fun to me and learning new ways to have fun has been a big part of this because you don't have those same social circles you can run in anymore when you're not spending all of your time eating and drinking. Like, yeah. You're, you have to you have to build new things and you diversified you diversified your fun <laughs> completely like i i and, and and that's not to say like i don't want anyone out there to think well food will never be fun again like there's a difference between enjoying a good meal with people and enjoying a good meal and then there happens to be people there. yeah like, like the people are just an afterthought yeah right the, the people are the are the parsley sprinkled on top of the meal and if it's there <laughs> you push it off to the side most of the time like it's it's really been about like be, trying to be cognizant of each step of my journey, what I'm doing, how am I feeling, how am I reacting? And that's why really when I got like a year and a half in and my weight started to stall and I actually started to regain some weight, uh, I had been doing it completely solo. And, and I realized that I needed some help. I needed more help doing what I was doing. So I started to look into different programs for coaching and different people for coaching and realized for the first time that like as much as I wanted this to be all about me being the lone wolf, you know, solving this problem, I was headed towards a situation I did not know how to handle alone. And that's the goal, uh, the goalpost here. I've never been able to handle it. You know, like I said, I'm in my 40s and I've never once, even when I've hit a goal, goal weight on a diet, been able to stay there for very long. And I knew I wanted to succeed this time. So I had to to start thinking more about the big picture. What are the tools that I need? And if I need to adapt the tools I'm using, like I even have moments where I was like, is keto the right diet for me anymore? Like it's gotten me to this point. Do I need to look at doing something else? Like what do I need to do? So I was, I'm trying to be as aware and open to everything that I'm feeling and doing so that I don't miss out on... Um, opportunities for me to learn more and opportunities for me to teach myself more and realize there are things that I can do that I, I 
I, I think we as people often say, well, you know, I could never do that, or that could never be something that I do, or I'm just not that way. And I've I've come to realize that, you know, that right there just limits you so badly that you're never you are never are gonna do it if you tell yourself that. So I see that I am going to hit like originally my goal was to get down to I think 225 was the original goal weight I set when I started working with my coach and probably like two months in I had this conversation with him and I said you know what I I think I can get to 199 and and I expected him to say whoa 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 let let's just get you to where you can get and see what happens like I don't want you to be disappointed I don't want you to deal with that and instead he said heck yeah, you can. Let's, let's put this into play. Like, let's get this going. Like, so it's been great for me to now open myself up to a relationship with someone else in terms of supporting my journey. And it's allowed me then to become more open with the the way I share my journey on, on social platforms like Instagram. And I, I got my podcast launched and, um, I, I like to share the good and the bad, and it's been a great tool for me along the way. And, it's it's all this this goes back to this idea of being cognizant of what I'm doing and keeping in focus that everything I need to be doing has to be about keeping me alive because I used to spend so much time trying not to be alive. Oh, so, wow! Yeah, first of all, shout out to Jonathan Shane. Yeah. We gotta mm. we gotta give him a big shout out. Oh yeah, that's our buddy. Um, and I I think it's interesting that. I've I've been thinking about this too for a while, like this, um, the importance of everything that's not your diet and your fitness, you know, mm-hmm. like all these other things that are so important. And so important. you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, mindfulness is just so mm-hmm. important, you know, like, because then we can, we can address things as they happen versus being like, oh, what the heck happened? How did this happen? How did, right. you know, and, and if we, if we pay attention we can hear voices in our heads trying to sabotage us. And this is something mm-hmm. that I love that you share. I think it's so important because then people can like, if they were to just pay attention for one second, they'll just start to hear those same things. Like mm-hmm. this is impossible. You can't do, you're not cut out for this. You're not built like that guy. You'll never will be. It's been months or years. And you look at what you have to show for this. Like you've done enough, chill for a while, celebrate. Like this is just a million, just examples of a million of them that, you know, how, how do you address these thoughts in a healthy way? And like, what are the habits that you've built this time around that keep you in the driver? Like, do you have, what do you call the guy that, that, that tells you to eat stuff? Like, do you have a name for him or, or is mm. it, I know that you address him in a certain way. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there's, uh, I, 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 I do like to say that I do, I will say that I call him fat Mike. Um, <laughs> fat Mike, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like he's that, that's who he is. Um, but also I, I, my Instagram handle used to be Gormandizer. Okay. So I, I do say Gormandizer is coming back. Um, the word Gormandize means to eat with, with passion. Um, oh, wow. and my last name is Gorman. So that's where, where that handle came from. Um, I was actually just Googling, you know, kind of doing like typing in the word Gorman and, you know, and seeing what came up when I was looking for an Instagram handle and that word came up and I was like, that's, a, that's an eating word. Like, and I was like, yeah, that kind of fits me. Um, so I, I will say that, like, I, I think honestly, and this is, this is something I know, like the, the two of you have talked about a lot. Um, when I was in the hospital, I discovered the book, the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. Oh, yeah. And, um, it was a big reading that book was a big part of my recovery. And this idea of stoic philosophy, I had always kind of heard about it, but never really dove too deep. And 
I just started to read more and realize that because for years I was a counselor, like I worked in in the college and university residence halls and worked with college students and was counseling them and like, you know, being a mentor. And my big thing I used to say to them all the time was, well, what in this situation can you control? What can't you control? What are we going to actually do about the things that you can control? And that was always like from a roommate problem to, you know, I I had talked to students that were literally sitting on the ledges of windows, like, you know, and I'm so I'm sitting there and I'm I'm diving into to stoicism and I'm like reading, you know, ancient philosophers basically saying, what can you control and what can't you control? <laughs> Let go of the things you can't control. And I think for me, it's it's really now come back to like every day, like I get up and I think, okay, what can I control today? When I start to get stressed out or overwhelmed at work, what can I actually control in this situation? And sometimes that means kicking myself in the butt because I'm like, you can control the fact that you didn't get enough work done today. You know, you could do more work. You could, instead of going to bed an hour early, you can stay up an hour late and get that project done. Like there are things that I can do that before I would just say, oh, I had a bad day. Let's eat a pizza and go to bed. Like yeah. I try to be more mindful in that way and, and put that into practice. Um, those voices come back. And I, I think if I ever were to say that I'm completely quote unquote cured is when I would be in a lot of trouble. I bet, yeah. Because that's when uh, that's when it, my walls would come down a little bit, and I'd be comfortable. And you know, I I, I realized the other day, like my life going forward is going to require vigilance. Is going to require me to remain eternally vigilant about these these challenges because the challenges come for the most part from inside of me. Yeah. Like they're not. It's not. As as much as there were foods that I was addicted to specifically and that drove my hunger and, you know, messed up my hormone profile and, and made it, you know, my hunger responses weird off the chart, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the real problem comes at, at when I'm sitting alone at night and the voice inside my head says, you know, wouldn't it just be fun to eat, though? You know, wouldn't it just be, wouldn't yeah. and, and I, and it's, it's crazy to me because like when I, I've sat down with some people before and they're like, well, I want to know what you used to eat and what life was like for you then. And I sit down and I tell them, and you can see the growing look of horror on their face <laughs> or, you know, I, I added up for, for John once, um, the number of calories, the, the summer that I gained 270 pounds in six months, I, I remember very vividly what I ate. So I added, I put all the calories into my tracking app for him. And it it was up around 30,000 calories. I remember him just being like, (laughs) and so was this a big day? And I'm like, no, this was a pretty average day back then. Um, So, but then I realized though, that there's a part of me that when I tell those stories gets nostalgic. Like, so I have to, I have to admit to myself, like, you're not so far away from being that person that you can mock that person, you know? I lived that life for so long and like, I have to, I have to realize that like, I, I think it's very easy sometimes for us to say I was one person and I became another person. And I I think I have to realize that I still am that person. I've just built up better skills and, and, and tools in my, in my belt to deal with these situations that I get into. I've, I've learned new coping mechanisms. I've learned new ways to deal with life. I, I've learned. I've learned new. I've put new goals into place. I, I've put new desires and wants into place over the old things that were there. So it doesn't mean that I've changed necessarily as a person, but my perspective on myself has changed. Yeah, we we couldn't. You're preaching to the choir over here as mm. two 
you know, we're addicts. recovering addicts. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're still addicts. I, you know, oh, you know, food addiction is just another another kind of addiction. Symptom, but we're all yeah. mm. we're all the same in the way that we obsess about things and it's all about us and the ego and like we we all have to oh, yeah. fight we all have to fight that and and it's it's um yeah you all you have to there's me and danny get nostalgic about that stuff all the time so it would make sense that for for you to for that to happen yeah even like we're talking about, well, it was fun at the beginning food. wasn't it like yeah, yeah. It was, we were like yeah we were having fun at some point you know like even though we were doing massive amounts of like drugs oh yeah um, and and so yeah, it's just like being mindful of that and realizing that hey, you could be there. Mm-hmm. That, that lifestyle is waiting for you. It's always waiting for you. Yeah, you know. And that's why yeah, it's like that one day at a time thing. And it's kind of a perfect segue into the next question because um, one of the things that you know they tell you in AA is stay away from people, places, and things. Mm-hmm. So I want to. One of our questions is actually about social circles. Um, and we live in a day and age where you can find so many more like-minded people and find support anywhere from online groups to in-person groups, et cetera. How have you adjusted who you spend your time with to put you in a winning environment and what, or who have you had to cut out of your life while you focus on bettering yourself? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> we all got to do it. I, I think I have a, I think I have a lot, I have a lot of older friends that were eating buddies yeah. You know, like people have drinking buddies, people have drug buddies. Like uh-huh. I have, I have friends that we all kind of lived in that space of reinforcing our, our eating behavior. And I don't, I don't necessarily think they were all dealing with the same things that I was dealing with, but they en- enabled my behavior. They, they were a part of enabling that behavior. So I, I did kind of pull away from some of those situations. The other thing that I realized recently too is like, I have some friends that I've pulled away from that really didn't have anything to do with my eating, but they're the people that I would go drinking with. And while I don't necessarily think that I have trouble controlling alcohol, I know that when I drink alcohol, I have trouble controlling the food that goes into my mouth. Yes. So I think that's one. just as much of a problem. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, so I, I realize that I don't go, I don't go places to drink anymore. I don't participate in the events that involve going and getting drunk anymore. Like it's, that's something, well, you know, one, you, you don't have time for as you get older realistically. And two, my goals are different. Like it's, I can't get up and go to the gym at four 30 in the morning. If I'm out till two o'clock in the morning the night before, <laughs> like I, I had to try to, to build a better, a stronger support circle. And the funny thing is like, I had, I have, I have some followers on Instagram still that I I'm good friends with now that were there in the beginning that were there for the first two years of my account when it really was more of like circus side, circus sideshow fat man activity. <laughs> and they saw, you know, they were there when I changed my my nickname and and talked about the changes I was making. And I think some of them admittedly would say they stayed along just to see if I was going to fall, you know, just to see how spectacular the fall would be. Um, but I know some of them were people that really wanted me to be alive and wanted to, you know, were like, you're a great person and, you know, great if that's how you want to live your life. But I'm happier hearing that you're going to actually do things to help yourself now. Yeah. And I also think I, I've started, I started really opening up to Instagram. Like I, I can't, it's funny because I think now the, the big trend is for people to talk about how damaging social media is to their lives. And yeah. I understand, I understand when social media becomes an obsession. Like right. I know for me, I've learned, I have had to set limits on how often I'm going to respond to messages and how often I'm going to handle, Absolutely. you know, how I'm going to, like, am I going to, I'm trying not to micro dot my stories every day. Like, but I also know that it has been one of the biggest tools for me this time around because 
I, I've been an open book on there since day one. You look at those before people, it's funny when I post my before and after pictures, I always get messages or, de- or comments. Why did you have that before picture? And I'm like, scroll back two years on my timeline and that before picture is posted. Like I was wild with, with sharing, you know, what my life was like throughout my whole life. So I, I kept that going as I entered into my journey. So when I would have days that I was crying because I was hungry and white knuckling through nights, I would talk about that on Instagram. And when I would have successes, I would talk about that on Instagram. And it started to build connections with people. Like I think... Um, the keto community exists on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on every social media platform. There's some version of what would be called the keto carnivore community. Like it exists. They're different though. Like Twitter is almost more of a very scientific world where yeah. or it's either science or it's people just yelling at each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Twitter works. Um, like I, I know when certain people who follow certain other diets follow me on Twitter that I should expect that I'm going to start getting some nasty messages or some, right. you know, weird DMs or something along those lines. I know that Facebook is just a lot of mean people waiting for new people to come into groups so they can yell at them about what they're doing wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I feel like... I feel like Facebook entirely is is there so that people could get their aggression out when someone comes and says, you know, ask the quote unquote dumb question. Yeah. And so a hundred people can just say, You're you are you need to do this, you need to do that, blah, blah, blah. Go to Reddit, go here, go that like just yelling at people. Yep. For sure. And then I found that Instagram um is more of a place where people are getting to share themselves genuinely and make some genuine connections, or at least that's the experience I have I with people. So I know much. it's not I know it's not the same thing for everyone. I have, I do sometimes get DMs from people that say, how did you make so many connections? Because I can't seem to get anyone to talk to me. You know, and one, that breaks my heart. But two, I I think I, I just say to them, I say, well, you know, my goal with Instagram wasn't to connect with all these people. My goal with Instagram was to have an accountability tool for sharing my experience. So keep sharing your story, be genuine, you know, and people are gonna see that, you know, don't, plan everything that you do to be like a, a perfectly shut lit post that's oh about highlighting a product. Like yeah. think about just sharing what's going on. And you know, the more genuine you are, the more genuinely people will respond to you is really my belief. And I I feel like I've built such a strong network uh, on Instagram that that's how I connected with John Shane because we were actually connected on Instagram before he even became a coach. And when it was time for him to become a coach, he knew I was thinking about finding a coach. And that's how we connected yeah. on, on that. that awesome. There was a lot of serendipity there with that. Um, not to say I hadn't looked at your coaching service as well. Oh, Jenny, but, you know, just so you know, <laughs> you know, I don't we want you to feel, you know, Please, no, not at all, like, man. I'll, I'll, and I'll be honest with you. Like I, I went with, I, I, I went with John and he knows this. And I've said this before. Um, it was because he was new as a coach in this, in this sphere. And I was like, if I'm going to ruin someone's experience as a coach because of how awful I am, like, let it be someone who's new to this and has a lot of (laughs) energy. And, you know, I said to him in our very first discussion, he's like, pretty much, I said to him in our very first discussion, he said, you know, what is one of your fears getting into coaching? And I said, I think I'm uncoachable. And he's like, what does that mean? I said, I think that I'm a stubborn pig and you are not going to be able to coach me. And he's like, okay, challenge accepted. Let's just move forward and do this. Like, you know, like we, that was great. But I I think even better was now, you know, you, I I got to meet both of you at KetoCon. I got to meet so many people that I've been connected to for years now online in person. Yeah. And literally two, 
I, I'll, I mean, I'll be 100 percent honest. You know, I talked I talked about this in an episode of the Keto Man's Club podcast. Like, I think there were some people who I realized who they put out online is not who they are in person. But I think you find that everywhere. Yeah. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people I met at KetoCon. Yeah, it's so true. Are, were exactly the same people that I knew, you know. Absolutely. And I had to get over that. Like I had to get over that myself. Like that that first night at the Redmond Real Salt party, I was like starstruck and more like, you know, enamored with everyone I was <laughs> seeing because it's like your Instagram feed comes to life. Like yeah. it literally so is true. like, oh, I wanted to just walk around to everyone and double tap them. And yeah. Them. Like, <laughs> I think we talked a, about that at the party. Would like would like little hearts appear over people's heads, like what's gonna happen? Um, but then I realized that like there's these are real people that you know the connections you make with them online are just as real as they become, you know, when you meet them in person and, and you end up then having trouble saying goodbye to everyone because it's even more real. And and so I think that I've, you know, from there, like really started to realize that I value who I put my energy into, you know, when I build connections that try to not just, it's not just all about supporting my journey, but like, who am I connecting with and who am I supporting? Because it's, I know for me, the next phase of my journey has to be about taking some lessons from what I've done and, and putting them into action somehow and starting to build a network that will allow me to, to do that more readily, I think has been a big part of it. Man, it's so helpful. It really has. And, and I, I think another part of it, and I want to get into this next is, you know, um, constantly these adjustments. So, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you've been doing this for over two years now, right? You've, you've adjusted things to keep that progress going. You added coaching and we love the people taking it to the next level because that is when you really separate yourself, number one, from your old self and you cement those results in, you start to believe in yourself more. And, you know, a lot of people maybe still like, like, let's say they're still at 350 to 450 pounds plus, and they, they just can't do the whole gym thing yet, at least mm -hmm. not the traditional way most people do it. So how has your, your exercise and your fitness side of this evolved over the years? Because I think that's important for people to know, like, where to start if you're so far away that you're yeah. just like, oh, sure. I can't yeah, get, I, I can't, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm not going to squat. What are you, yeah. crazy? You squat, right. Well, I, I, I think for me, like, it, when I started, I could walk for five minutes in a straight in a you know on a straight path not with any kind of gradient or anything i could walk for five minutes that's what i could do and after that i was an exhausted sweating heaving mess that's like that's walk. that's where my cardiovascular fitness was so i from the i would literally walk to the front from my apartment down a couple flights of stairs to the front steps of my apartment building i would sit and psych myself up and then there was a telephone pole that at this point in my life is probably 10 seconds away walking. Right. Then was the two and a half minutes. Wow. You know, that was, that was my two and a half minute mark. Um, and so that first day I tried to, I just walked that. And that's when I figured out it was five minutes because I it took me five minutes to walk there and back. And I was like, okay, you have to do this again tomorrow. And you have, and so I committed to doing, to doing something regularly as ridiculous as it sounds to people that I was doing five minutes of exercise to start. Um, but when you're that big, yeah, that's not honestly, it's about food. Like the first thing you need to get in line is your food. Right. Like yeah. you really need to get your food in line. Like even when we talk about like the, the, the changes I've made over the years, like 
I needed to just stop eating a lot of the foods that were causing right. me problems. And I wasn't necessarily worried about micronutrient profile and all of that and optimization and, and those great things. I had to start looking at the big pictures. Like my friend Miles says, worry about the rocks before you worry about the grains of sand. Shout like, out to Miles. Oh, yeah, Miles. <laughs> um, Shout out. Like, so I, with fitness, I did that. And I did that probably for the first month. And so I built myself up to being able to walk probably like 20 minutes to a half hour in that first month. And then I knew I wanted to get back to the gym. I had been going to, to you know, I'd done some rudimentary weightlifting before and I knew it was a, a great thing, you know, to keep my body, to keep my strength up and like help my body get stronger and I needed it. And I had a friend who was a trainer who built a program for me the last time I lost weight and I still had all my notes and everything. And I'm like, you know what to do? Let's go back to the same Planet Fitness. It's less than a mile from your house. You can afford it. It's open the right hours. Let's let's do this. So I went to Planet Fitness and I the first thing I was going to do the first day was use a treadmill. And I actually said to the staff, because I was still over four, well over 400 pounds at this point, um, what's, is there a weight limit to any of this equipment? Because I'm worried about that. And the woman working said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well... That seems like something you should find out. <laughs> like, and she's like, "Oh, she goes, well, I'll I'll reach out to our district manager, yada yada yada, whatever." Um, she actually never got back to me and let me know that there were weight <laughs> if there were weight limits or not. I discovered stepping onto a treadmill and having it stop that there was a weight limit to the treadmills. Um, I couldn't use any of them, and so then I was like, "Okay, so I guess you're still walking outside or I actually sometimes would do laps inside the gym because if it was really hot outside at that point, I was still a sweaty mess outside. I could just do laps of the of the outer circumference. It was a pretty big gym. And then I decided that I needed, you know, I was going to start building some of the the lifting back in and I was going to start with machines and go from there. And I realized my body didn't fit on most of them. So I needed to figure out which machines I could use. Like, what could I actually fit on? Like, what could I, like, there were a couple, like, I think one of the chest press machines I looked at and I'm like, there is no way I'm getting my body into that machine. <laughs> like, I could just am not flexible enough. And even if I get in there, I'm going to have to have it almost at full extension to have, you know, everything fit. And I probably at that point could have said, well, let's just use lightweight dumbbells and, you know, just go over to a bench. But I was severely intimidated. You know, you look over at the bench area and that's all people that are like doing routines that they clearly have down pat. And, you know, you start to build all that up in your head. Yeah. So I started doing what I could do. And, you know, within another another month or two, I was able to fit on another machine and the the treadmill wasn't stopping when I stepped on it. Um, it turned out there were two treadmills that were rated a little bit heavier. Though one of the people working did figure that out and told me. Um, so as long as one of those treadmills were available those first few months, I could use it. Um, I was it was getting easier for me. I, I love the recumbent bike, uh, yeah. but uh, my stomach was in the way at first. Like you're literally you've got a boulder on your legs, basically. Like yeah. my when I was at my even like more recent heaviest, I had an 80 inch waist. Like wow. you're carrying <laughs> literally a boulder and yeah. you sit down and it's there and you're trying to move your legs on the pedals and you're trying to move it up and down. And like, I know that's a little, probably a little TMI for some people. No way. But this is, this is so really, good for us to picture. The whole well, because process. I think like what people don't think about is when you're that big, um, the physics of your body change. Right. Yeah, like you can't do leverages so change. Yeah. Leverages change. 
your ability to get to certain angles change. If I were to lay flat on a bench at that size, I would stop breathing. Yeah. Like I would stop breathing. Yep. So lying flat on a bench to bench press was not going to happen. Incline bench, bench press with some dumbbells, I could definitely do. Like I had to start thinking about adapting what I was doing. And I think sometimes that's what happens when people, especially when people work with like the trainer at a gym, like, you know, uh, Planet Fitness or LA Fitness or those places that, they're not necessarily specialized in working with people that are of that size. So they don't necessarily, you know, I think there's probably some really great trainers out there who, who work in those places and really would look to adapt exercises for people. But I think some, when you're handed a sheet to do, like you can't, I couldn't just go to bodybuilding.com and take right. the one-on-one workout and do it. Yeah, I needed to adapt it to myself a little bit and, and keep going. But the, I think the overarching picture for me was, I had to realize that I had to commit to getting more physically fit. Like it wasn't about being the strongest tool in my weight loss belt because, you know, even especially at that size, you're not really burning enough calories in a workout like that to make it a, make a significant impact on the scale. Um, yeah. But what I'm doing is increasing my cardiovascular health, you know, in, Deal, helping with my circulation problems, right. like helping my body process food better and digest food and like all the collateral benefits that come from it. So I knew I just had to keep moving and I had yeah. to commit to doing that. And I found for me, that is one of the cha the biggest challenges is keeping to a fitness routine. Um, even now, you know, I work, I, I've had a couple of points like John Shane, my coach, like he's still uh, he, for me, will, if I say I want to change up my workout or do something different, like he'll put together a workout plan for me and I'll let him know how it goes. And we even got a chance to work out together at KetoCon, which was awesome. awesome. And um, I, I think bringing, bringing bigger fitness and strength goals into view or is, is a big part of the next stage of my journey. Uh, but I think up until now, like it really has been about just committing to doing something and finding something I could do. I know my first time around losing weight, it was a pool that really helped me. Um, I think most big people know that when you get in a pool, you bought, your body feels completely different. And you can do more. So finding like a local water aerobics class was a great thing that I used to do a lot. Um, I didn't have access to that this time around, so I didn't do it. But if I did, I totally would have. Like, I, yeah. I think finding those ways to, you know, allow yourself to be able to do it when you can't. Like, I have a good friend, my good friend, Dougie. Um, he is is well over 500 pounds. And he gets himself up and goes to the pool, you know, three or four days a week. You know, and he talks, he'll talk about what it's like to be in the pool and to be getting out of the water. But <laughs> when he's in the pool he's able to move around. And it also kind of brings into focus for him where his goals are at because he wants to be able to move his body like that on the land. Like, wow. I just think finding something that you can enjoy doing, you know, that you can get something out of. And, you know, for me, the walking was a big deal because I couldn't. You know, mobility has always been something that I've been challenged by at my at my heavier weights. And so when I can see a mile click over um, on... A treadmill or i can walk to the gym in the morning now uh, which is something i do a lot which upsets my family often because mm -hmm. walking through providence rhode island at four o'clock in the morning is not necessarily the safest thing oh. um, <laughs> yeah, no. but uh i figure for me like so then if i have to sprint a little bit like that's bringing a little <laughs> bit of like a, that's an interval right that, that i'm throwing in there it's like a little, a little high intensity interval you know I never carry my wallet with me. All I've got on me is like keys and a phone. Like if you want my iPhone, my old iPhone, come on up and take it. Um, 
But I think finding new ways to challenge myself and always looking for new ways to challenge myself. So like I ramp up my, my, my lifting workouts. Like I, I went like John and I had been doing like a full body that was mostly machines for a while. And then I was like, I really want to do, you know, I want to get more into dumbbell work. Like, can we yeah. switch it over to that? And like, now I kind of do some more intricate exercises and start to incorporate some new things. And I have a friend um, who I worked with um, for many years. I've known him probably 12 or 15 years now. And um, we're, we've signed up to do a four mile bridge walk here recently, coming awesome. up soon in October. Um, and I did one. we did one together before um, when I was at a lower weight. And so we're kind of revisiting that. And I didn't, I thought we were signing up for the same race that we did before. And I was all excited. And I posted <laughs> about it and he's like, Oh, just so you know, this isn't the same race. This one's harder and longer. And yes. I'm like, Oh, and I've Joy. already paid to, <laughs> okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Like, <laughs> that's great. We'll do it. Okay. Um, but I think finding new ways to, to the idea of finding new ways to challenge myself, especially in, in that fitness sphere is, is really, really important because you reach a point where you realize you can do more. So you have to try to do more. Absolutely. So important, it's man. Process. Of course, you're going to be mm. stronger and you're going to be able to do more. And make those adjustments as you go along. So that's amazing that you've been able to do that and, you know, stay injury free and just, mm. you know, do the thing the right way. I love the progression, man. And it's progression amazing to watch so the progression. Amazing. Like you're like going back to the whole failure thing and like mm. people can be like they see that obstacle. Obviously, you, you read the obstacles away. So, you know, right. but like oh, they yeah. see that obstacle and they're like, oh, guess I'm done. I'm going to go back home. And I'm not ready to work out yet. You know. and, and right and, right like and, and that because i've talked to some people like who who when i i share that version you know that part of my story the physical fitness side and i i i have people say to me i had the same thing happen to me when i went to the gym the treadmill stopped and so i went home i was completely ashamed and embarrassed and i'm like okay i understand but how does that help you right. <laughs> yes. like you know, going home and being embarrassed. I said, I understand. Like, I understand having to get out of that gym. Like, I get that. Like, completely get that. But just going home, like I said, well, I said, next time, go out to the parking lot and walk around the parking lot. Like, yeah, is there a way, is there something else that you can do? Like, that really is is something I, I think, I think we tend, we want to give up. Like, I think even when I regained all that weight so rapidly, like, I had given up and just, I decided I was a failure. So I failed. Yeah. And yeah. once I made that decision, it's the weight gain sped up. Of course. Like once I stopped caring and once I stopped fighting, you know, I fell deeper and darker into that hole. And I think it's always going to be about like, even if you don't know how to fight, being willing to fight and at least saying to yourself, I'm still in this. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Mm. Um, all right, let's ask something. Uh, all right, let's talk about treats and keto snacks because, sure. and before you do, of course, you know, you know where we stand, but mm. if, if this is something that is, that helped you, we, we want to know about it because again, we don't, we won't, we don't want to paint an inaccurate picture right. of how you've reached this point. And we definitely think that there's a place for them. I mean, mm -hmm. I definitely prefer for people to use that to get to, you know, a certain place, but we always got to strive for better. Mm -hmm. um, so, so do you see a place for these? And if so, what have been your go-to snacks um, that you, or like when you've decided to indulge, what are your favorite, you know, keto indulgences? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, 
And that's a really good question because I, I think my attitude has evolved for me personally. And I, and what I have to do is keep remembering that it's about me personally, because I like now when I see people posting like keto desserts all the time and keto treats right. and all of that, I, I get mad. Like yeah. I get really angry. Like yeah. I get like, I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, because yeah. then you're going to post in two hours that you're hungry again. Like <laughs> where is the cop, you know, cognitive dissonance people. Yep. Um, but I realized for me, when I started, I they were things that at, at first when I started, I was like, I'm 100% in. I don't need anything. I'm just going to eat, you know, meat and some green vegetables and some fat. And that's what I'm eating. And that's what I'm doing. And then I was like, okay, well, you've got this holiday coming up and you've got that coming up and you need to be able to do something. And it became fun looking for the substitutes that I was craving. So I was using things like, um, like I was big in the beginning into the goodies blondie mix. Oh, we, it, oh yes, that's that a good It's a good one. one yeah. I would then I would then take the the Lily's caramelized and salted bar, Ooh. break that up and put it in there. And that was like that and I good. would bring that to family gatherings and people there would devour them as much as I would. And then I would be like, you're eating sunflower seeds, just so you know. <laughs> like just so you know. And luckily no one ever had a sunflower seed allergy. Like I'm like <laughs> I'm like, you're eating sunflower seeds. I'm gonna die. Well, this didn't work out well. Um but like even like I mentioned Halo Top. Like Halo Top was a big part of my initial journey. Um like treats like that, like um, every time I talk about this company, I, I try to avoid using their name because I don't want anyone to know that I think that they're crack dealers. But there is a nut butter company that makes nut butters that taste like desserts. And I was a huge fan of them in the beginning. And then eventually I became a raging addict with them. And what I realized with keto treats in general through that experience is for me personally, when I kept them around, I wasn't doing anything to work on my actual relationship with food. Like I was just replacing the food and allowing, giving myself something else to binge on that I felt safer about, that I felt yeah. was a safer treat, that I felt there wasn't going to be as much damage because a pint of Halo Top was only 300 calories. So I wasn't eating 1500 calories of Ben and Jerry's, but I still was eating a full pint of ice cream. Right. And it's the behaviors. It's the behavior. It's the behavior. Yeah. And I, I, so I think for me that I had to realize they were, I had to take them away so I could learn how I relate to them. And that's how I approach it now. Like, it's almost like a reintroduction protocol in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, one, I want to know how my body actually reacts. So, like, if something is, you know, I mean, let's be, and we, we, the, we have had some actual discussions at KetoCon, you know, in person about, you know, when you pick up something and it's, you know, two net carbs, but it's 40 grams of fiber, yeah. 35 grams of erythritol. Yeah. So, you're looking at 78 grams of total carbs in this bar that weighs half an ounce. And you're like, of course, this tastes like heaven. And then two hours later, you're like, I'm, I got to skip dinner because I'm going to the bathroom for the next four days. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. like what it's is funny? Cause and, it's true. And the funny thing is like, it killed me. What Saturday, I think it was Saturday morning at KetoCon. Literally every person to a fault was like, how are you feeling after eating everything yesterday? How are you feeling? Oh, I was in the bathroom all night. Well, I was in the bathroom all morning. I'm going to the bathroom right now. Yeah. Like I, I went the, through that in the early years, man. I, I went through that process. Oh, and it was like, it was almost like everyone was enjoying it together. And I was like, wow, there's something really disordered about this all happening right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is like everyone went on a binge yesterday and now is talking about it together. Like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, what is going on here? But I, I realized like for me, 
So like when I, one of the things, like when I started working with Jonathan and I started working with him in October of last year, um, we were, we talked about nut butters and my addiction to nut butters. Like I literally probably two weeks before I started working with him, ate four jars of that fancy nut butter in one weekend. I know what um, you're talking about. We're going to have to, we're going to say that after we stop recording and I'm, yeah, I, I, oh, yeah. I'm guessing. Mauda wrote it down oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's it's, the one. Oh yeah, like there's these. Let's just say that these. It's a storied brand. Um, <laughs> it's story, you know. Yeah. Story. Synonyms. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so their pie flavored nut butters, I could swallow those whole. And so then I real. But the funny thing is, like I've also realized more recently, like my problem with nut butters isn't just about their nut butters or anyone else's. Like it's and it's not something brought on by going on the keto diet. Like I used to eat Skippy by the jar. Yeah. Like I have long had this deep seated love affair with nut butters. Me just too. they've evolved what the nut butters are. And now now the nut butters cost twelve dollars a jar instead of two dollars <laughs> a jar that I that yes, I want to binge so on. True. So I took seven months off nut butters. Like, <laughs> Good. like I, I I took seven months off and I said I, I finally one day said to John, I want to get some F bomb packets. Oh yeah. And he's like, Okay. How are you feeling about this? Why do you want to do this? Like, where is this coming from? Like, is this a, I'm craving nut butters or is this like something different? And I said, I feel like I'm going to experience, I'm going to run into nut butters in public again. It's going to be awkward. And I want I to know how I, I want to be prepared and I want to know how I handle it. I want to know. And it's like almost like one of those things where you want to <laughs> test yourself because it's it's not and I this is where I think like as much as people love to draw parallels between food addiction and, and alcohol and drugs, a, a drug someone who's addicted to drugs and alcohol yeah, you can abstain. doesn't doesn't have to ever reintroduce any of those things into their life. Right, like right. they have they that's something they have to deal with. Like yeah. as someone who's addicted to food, yeah, you have to eat. There, <laughs> I have to eat, and I also have to real. I have to admit that. Sometimes the addiction to food isn't about the food itself, and it's about how I'm reacting to that food. Right. Yeah. And so I wanted to see if nut butters was something that I actually reacted to like an addict, or if it was something that I could build a more mature relationship with. Is that possible? Right. And so I started out weighing nut butters and having you know my portions of nut butters, and um, it's been going really great. Like one, it, it's so funny because. You know, I mentioned F-Bombs and I love their single serving packages. And um, one of the guys from F-Bombs, like he's also a Patriots fan. So we connected at KetoCon because he wanted to, he's like, we got to talk about the Pats in person. I'm like, OK. <laughs> and then we were talking and I, and I was just talking there and there were some other people who came up to the booth then. And I was talking about loving the nut butter packets and everything. And everyone at the booth started to get this look on their face like someone had just died or someone farted. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? And he goes. I guess we shouldn't tell you that we're launching jars next month because I had literally oh, yeah. just made this impassioned speech about they are the nut butter line that cares about the nut butter addict. Like <laughs> I, I made this very dramatic speech and like the people who were the new people who had never tried them before were walking away with nut butter packets and everyone had tears in their eyes and how beautiful <laughs> it was. And they're like, e we got Jars coming next month, and I literally was like, "Screw you! I'm going away." Like I'm done. <laughs> Even though the I'm jars, the you. jars are tiny. Up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they are. I mean, it, it, like realistically, like you know, it makes sense for them to do it. Like I know they're a company. Like I understand, but so I've been trying to work on on that relationship, you know, with that food specifically. So 
there's also, you know, are there other, so like I also got to, you know, hang out with, with Dina from goodies at KetoCon, And, you know, there's, there's a couple of her products that I'm probably going to start kind of experimenting with soon to see how I feel and react to, to kind of making them and what I do with them. And, right. um, I feel like now I just have a more, I do have a more mature approach to foods and I'm not so much about let's make a whole pan of brownies and eat the whole pan of brownies. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm even been thinking like, is there a way I could use that brownie mix to make like a mug cake so that I'm making one at a time? Or, you know, is there something else yeah, I can so do? Yeah, so portion like, control. So I can think about portion control. As much as you know, people in our sphere don't like to talk about portion control because it should just be intuitive. You know exactly what to do. Um, Sometimes you can't trust yourself you know, though. Exactly. Oh yeah. I never, I, I will never <laughs> trust myself with portion, like never will. Um, even if I move into an intuitive eating, you know, try to build those skills up, which it is something I'm going to work on. Um, I, so what I, I think is I, I, for me, am identifying, are there some things that I'll probably stay away from forever? Probably. Uh, but are there some things that I think are less of an actual detrimental effect to my body? So do they, and they fall into the treat category? Yes, they do. Like I was a tester for Enlighten's new line of keto ice cream. Oh, wow. um, and so I, I, I had a crate sent to me. It was seven pints of ice cream oh, in it. Wow. Um, you know, it, but I will say this, this is the funny thing. I also bought Killer Way's piggy butter so when good. they released that last year. And it arrived a week before I started working with Jonathan. So I got six pints of piggy butter because you had to buy six to get it. Right. And yeah, I was I one of the lucky these. people lucky enough to get it. And I'm literally like, I, I, I honestly, I have five of them left in the freezer because I, awesome. I realized that like I had to portion it. And one of the things John said, he's like, okay, have the piggy butter. He's like, you know, measure out your serving, have the piggy butter, and then tell me if that is worth, you know, with my carb level set where it is, is that worth your carbs for the day? Right. You know, is it that? And when I'm eating it, I'm like, this is probably one of the most delicious things I've ever tasted in my life. Like that peanut butter swirl and with the bacon and the chocolate, it's that's good, amazing. But then I realized, and this is, and there's a reason I'm talking about this. Like I realized that I enjoyed having a salad of baby arugula though with a burger more. Yeah. I realized that like I got more satisfaction yes. out of out of better carbs, like out of using my my allotment differently. And so what I've realized with keto treats is sometimes I get really I can get like that mental craving for them or I think it would be awesome to try something like we all get that FOMO when we see yeah. something new. Right. Like walking around KetoCon there was 8 billion new things to try. I still have a giant tube of keto frosting that I haven't cracked into. Oh, that yeah. I was, we I tried at KetoCon yeah. and I'm like, this was delicious. And now I'm like, I will never open you. I am not, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do that yet. Um, but I, I think I've realized that like for me, I've become used to the regimen of how I eat. I eat total carbs. I eat 10 grams of carbs a day and I don't want to waste them on something that I'll enjoy for a second and then won't feel satisfied by. Like I enjoy eating foods that allow me to be satiated for hours instead of something that gives me a momentary thrill. And that for me is a maturation of my relationship with food. Absolutely. Like that's growth. Realizing and, and it's funny because one of one of the first things John said to me was, one of my goals for you after talking to me many, many times was he's like, one of my goals for you is that you'll start to realize that food can be fuel and not just fun. Right. Yeah. And I laughed at him <laughs> and I said, that'll never happen. Look at who you're dealing with. That's just never going to happen. And he's like, okay. 
that's fine. He goes, but just know that that's one of my goals. And then months later, a couple months ago now, I was talking to someone who I connected with on Instagram, who I was trying to help. And I literally start saying the words to them. What you're going to need to do is start thinking about the place that food has in your life and how it really is something that fuels you every day. And it's not just something you have fun with. And I stopped dead. And the person's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And we finished talking and I got off the phone and I called John and I was like, you need, I, and I just yelled at him. And I'm like, I just told someone else to start thinking about food as fuel because that's how I think about fuel now. And he laughed and thought it was great. <laughs> and he's like, I told you. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm one of those people like I, like our, our mutual friend, Robert Sykes, like I feel like Robert has a very utilitarian approach to food. Like yeah. he's very much like I'm having steak and keto brick today and I could eat that every day for the rest of my life. Whereas yep. I look at when people do that and I'm like, I do not know how you could do that. I need a little more diversity on my plate. But I do think that now I think about like what effect is the food having on me? What benefit am I getting from it? And do I feel satiated all day? Like, am I, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Like, I know that when I eat primarily beef, I'm satiated. I know that on those days when I crave something like chicken wings and decide to do pasture chicken wings instead, I'm going to be starving a couple hours later because chicken just doesn't affect me the same way. Even if I supplement, you know, my fat percentages are still the same. So it's just very interesting to me to become more cognizant of how the actual food makes me feel. So I know now when I eat a treat that has something in it that doesn't agree with me, that I'm not going to feel great. And do I want to not feel great for a day after I have something because of the experience of having that treat? That's what I have to think about. That's the decision, but that's that's good because then it's not like it's not like this you're not allowed to eat that. That's bad. Right. That's an evil food. Like it's not a it's not a good or a bad thing. You just need to be aware like like yeah, you're going to eat the wings. They're freaking delicious. They're delicious wings, you know? Like eat the freaking wings, you know? But right. like, you just got to know what's going to happen after. You probably need to eat again today. And that that's today. That's the story right. of today. Exactly. And I think like, and that's what it's coming down for me thinking about going forward. Like, will there be points in my life where I make decisions to eat foods that veer off the plan that I've been following? I probably will because I'll determine that it's worth the consequences. Yep. But I'm making yeah. a choice to do it now. Right. It's not just about indulging something. Like I'm going um, in a month, I'm going to Disneyland um, oh, nice. with my sister. I love of it out there. I love Disney World down down in Florida, but um, we have a special connect. I have a special connection with Disneyland, and we're going there to go to Star Wars Land and all this, nice. do the Halloween stuff and everything. And there is a treat sold in Disneyland that is not sold anywhere else on the planet. It comes from the Mary Poppins Bakery. It's not <laughs> sold anywhere else. And to Ooh. me, knowing that I'm eating this treat that has wheat in it and all sugar and is coated <laughs> in white chocolate, I know that I'm going to I'm going to spend 2 days with raging cravings and possibly with bathroom effects from that. Oh yeah. But I make the determination right, many choice. many times that it's okay, that it's something I want to do. So I actually it was funny I had the cheapest discussion. And it happens like once every 5 years like who cares. Well that's what it is like it's yeah. not like and I I was even John and I were talking about what happens to me going forward like when when I'm because one of the things that I've always wanted to do is go to Europe. I've I've never been able to travel overseas. I've always been too large. You know, I could never afford two plane seats on an international flight. And I also was too large for the bathrooms. And how do you take a 10 hour flight and not be able to go to the bathroom? Oh, like, wow. yeah. what do you do? Like, I, I've flown from California to Florida before at 540 pounds. Wow. Um, I, 
had a very embarrassing accident on that plane because I had to use the bathroom. I had no choice and ended wow. up ruining the clothes I was wearing and had to basically go back to my seat and stay there until we could get off the plane and get my luggage. Like, wow, man. So then thinking about going to Europe at that size, that's never going to happen. And then also, let's be realistic. Everything in Europe is smaller. You know, the hotels are smaller. There's so much walking. Like if I want to, because I really want to go to Ireland. Um, oh, and if cool. I want to experience Ireland, I need to be able to walk. So that's something I want to do. I really also want to go to Disneyland Paris. Like, and so I, I'm oh, like, yeah. I, I really want to go, you know, I might end up in Paris. And so I said to John, like, so how do I approach when I'm in Paris, standing in front of the most famous bake, you know, bakery in the world, and there's a croissant coming out, like, do I decide to have it or do I not have it? And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said to me, if I'm in front of a once in a lifetime treat, I might want to try it to see yeah. what it's like. Right. Yeah. But there's also, and this is something Miles and I have talked a lot about lately, because we have another friend that has discovered that after, you know, he's now at the, he's into the post weight loss person of his journey, this guy. And what he's determined is he sometimes comes into those situations where he's going to make the decision that it's worth it to eat something. So he takes a bite. And if that one bite isn't worth it, he stops eating it. Oh, man, that's good. And it's not about, I decided I was going to eat this. So I'm going to shove me. the whole thing that's in my face. Oh, I'll does. try something and be that. like, no. Like, I mean, I like, if it's worth it, I'll do it. Like, like what was it? Like, oh, like my, my sister's baby shower. Mm. There was like these, they were supposed to be guava and something else, but they mm. really didn't. You know, probably because my palate, and the thing is that our palates mm. do indeed oh, yeah. change. Things yeah. that mm. used to taste good do not taste good anymore. You're, yeah. you're, you're so much more sensitive to sweet. Right, oh, yeah. right. Oh, and completely. Even, and even with the sweetener stuff too, like I used to like those keto treats and I've mm. tried them. Like the, so we got sent some bars and I keep trying to, tr like I keep trying little pieces to try mm -hmm. to like it. And I'm like, I really just don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't, you know? it doesn't do it. So, so yeah, yeah. You got You could decide if it's worth it. And then honestly, I'd rather lose my money than like, feel like garbage right. for nothing yeah. for a treat that and wasn't it, worth it exactly and that's and it's got to come down to i think as individuals we define what's worth it and if we define that it's worth it like it also means that as adults we're choosing to face the consequences of what happens yep. right like if i know something might spark cravings in me am i feeling strong enough to deal with those cravings like am i willing to deal with that like and the thing that's really funny to me is like because i haven't been in that situation in a while like i also think I may do that and then be like, I am never doing this again. Like, I don't want to put myself in that position. Like, you're right. the person that put yourself there. And that's why I don't like the cheat language that people use because yeah. I, I think it still becomes about choices. Like, we're choosing. Yeah, so then when those consequences come, I chose those consequences. They're my fault. Like, yeah. it's not the food's fault. The food didn't do anything. I chose to put that food inside of me. Like, no one made me do it. Like, so it's, got, it's about that intentionality. I love that, man. I think that was the theme of this whole show, man. Um, mm -hmm. We first want to give you an opportunity, man. First of all, thank you so much because I can't wait for people to hear this. Yeah, but so amazing. Give them an opportunity to find out um, where they can hear about your podcast, where they can follow you. Where can people find yeah, you where online? Where can people find you? Sure. Uh, well, first, thank you all. So, uh, thank you both so much. Like, it really, I'm really excited about this opportunity to talk to you guys. It was great to meet you at KetoCon. But it then really also, was, man. you know, like, I, I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk a little bit more because, you know, there it's all about like oh, we're all insane. running, we're running through all these different people or we're, we're all trying to get as much meat into ourselves as possible <laughs> at, at Fogo. But, um, 
exactly. to find me, the, the, the best place to probably connect with me, like actually, if you want to reach out is Instagram. I'm gourmet underscore goes underscore keto on Instagram. And I'm also on Twitter now and trying to build that up a little bit. So it's, uh, it's, I know a little bit less about Twitter than Instagram, but Same I'm learning. Um, I'm gourmet goes keto, no dashes or anything on there. Um, and then like you alluded to, I just recently uh, launched a couple of months ago that my podcast is called the Fat Guy Forum. I, I highlight the stories of men dealing with weight issues their whole lives and what those lives are like and try to spotlight the things that we don't normally talk about uh, when it comes to those issues. So it's not all keto guys. It's not all carnivore guys. It's it's men that have used Weight Watchers and, and weight loss surgery even and have made that decision and what that's like. And then some of the guys that, you know, have have been lifelong keto advocates are on there too. Like it's all, and I've, I've, I've started to bring on friends that have just started their journeys. So right. they aren't even sure what direction they're going in yet. Okay. But I, I, I want to be able to like show that it's not always about what happens when you get to the finish line, but sometimes that starting point can be just as helpful for people. So that. that's the Fat Guy Forum. It is on iTunes and Spotify and we're things. on iHeartRadio now. And, oh, cool, and, you know, man. Wherever you can, yeah, like wherever you, wherever you can, can listen, listen to a podcast, most likely you can find it. Um, nice. And all those links are also in my profile on Instagram, like if you need to track those down. Amazing. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks for coming Definitely. on. Definitely. Thank you, guys. I really, really appreciate this opportunity. Shut
Yeah.